Do you have a bucket list? How about a desire to travel to exotic places? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, most of those bucket items likely include horses. Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. You found the safe place to be horse crazy. When I began doing this podcast, I never dreamt it would go around the world. Through the magic of the internet, the show has downloads in over 80 different countries. It is amazing. And just between you and me, I hope some of those listeners aren't trying to learn English from me. When Keith Swenson emailed me from Mongolia wanting to talk about his horse expedition rides, I was immediately captivated. I'm not sure what your picture of Mongolia is, but mine was of a cold, dark, barren place I had seen in B-movies. After talking with Keith and visiting his website and YouTube channel, I had a totally different picture. Most people think of Mongolia as the Gobi Desert, the Bactrian, two-humped camels, and Gobi Desert, endless sand. It's not like that at all. It's very rich in biodiversity in some of the areas. The areas that in the north, in the Henty Mountains, they'd be considered biodiversity hotspots. They're rich in wildflowers and herbs and natural plants or medicinal plants. And you've got wildlife like grizzly bear, moose, wolf, wild boar, elk, roe deer, which would be kind of like white-tailed deer, wolverine, very similar to the North American West, the northern parts of North America. On today's episode, I'll take you halfway around the world and we'll share what it's like to be on a horse expedition in an ancient foreign land. Keith has a ride, hike, or train experience for just about everyone wanting to experience Mongolian culture. He has a wealth of knowledge, not only about horses and Mongolia, but about anything to do with nature. Whether you listen while you ride, do chores, or drive, get comfortable as we travel the world on the Woe Podcast. Here's Keith Swenson of Stone Horse Expeditions. Tell us a little bit about your background. You don't sound Mongolian. How did you end up in uh, Mongolia? Well, I'm not Mongolian. I'm an American Uh and uh, was born on the East Coast. Uh, My father was a horseman. We had a big horse property and he uh, uh, ran horse shows and gymkhanas and we even had, uh, you know, rodeos at the property wow. with the Eastern Rodeo Association. My mother was the secretary of the uh, Eastern Quarter Horse Association for a few years. And so they were big into horses. So I grew up around horses. But anyhow, I eventually, you know, moved west, uh, worked with the Forest Service for a little while, mm-hmm. and then uh, started international travel, you know, in my uh, late in my 30s. And I've been, uh, haven't looked back. Really? Have you been around the world? Uh, a number of times. I got into, uh, mostly my work has involved uh, park management, protected area management, working as a ranger or park manager. So I spent time, lived in New Zealand, uh, worked in the Antarctic for a number of years. Uh, just as a pastime, I started climbing as well and climbed in the Himalayas and in the Antarctic and other places around the world. But I always, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I grew up with horses. I always had them. Whenever I was around horses, I always tried to do something with them. Uh-huh. And then eventually, uh, uh, after moving go from New Zealand to the Middle East, where I ran a, a very large wildlife sanctuary, I ran, uh, at the time, probably the largest wildlife sanctuary in the world. 
in Oman, the Sultanate of Oman. And I worked for the Diwana Royal Court, which is the Sultan's personal ministry. And so directly for him. I uh, ended up in Mongolia. And uh, my wife had been working here. And she started complaining that we were too far apart for too long. (laughs) So I uh, gave up my job uh, reluctantly because it was a great job uh, that I had in the Middle East. And and I came to Mongolia and worked with uh, helping develop their uh, park management system as they were modernizing the country after the change from socialism to democracy in uh, 1990. And I arrived here 18 years ago in 1999. Wow. Naturally got on a horse. Uh, their horses are all over the place. It's a horse culture, an old horse culture. And, and what what's the history behind the horses of Mongolia? They would be the oldest uh, genetically in the world, the Central Asian horse. Really? Yeah, every probably horse breed that we have in the world now, what you can find uh, probably can relate back to the Central Asian horse genetically. So they're you know, probably some of the most diverse uh, genetically uh, speaking horses. You know, uh, they're one step away from being uh, the, the wild horse. I mean, the world knows about the, uh, the stories about Chinggis Khan and uh, conquering uh, you know, Asia and making it all the way to Austria and into Italy on horseback. Yeah, we just started riding and exploring the country on horseback while I was doing my other work here, uh, working as a running projects and uh, for park management and doing uh, consulting on park management. And, cool. and eventually just moved into this uh, company, Stone Horse uh, Expeditions, and created that with my co-founded that because you wanted to just incorporate horses into your lifestyle uh they're always part of it i just started riding and the the scenery is so nice here and it's still such a wild place in some areas it's just the cultural aspect you can ride out in the countryside even if it's not in a protected area or wilderness it's still quite a wild countryside place great for horse riding and I started showing pictures uh, to friends, to family, and so people wanted to join us on these trips. We would go out for days at a time, two, three weeks at a time. Um, eventually, uh, we got contacted by some people who just wanted to pay us to do that. Well, you know, I, I wasn't a registered company here or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I started to work with another fellow uh, who was uh, had a company license and uh, but I decided after a year or two to move on and form my own and register as a company and, uh, and form, come up with a company name, Stonehorse Expeditions, and, and began uh, advertising and got serious about it and then moved away from my consulting and uh, working uh, directly with uh, the uh, park system and taking up Stonehorse Expeditions as a full-time uh, occupation. And how many horses did you have to acquire to be able to do something like this? Originally, we started off with just three horses. I got a couple of saddle horses and a pack horse, and that's how we explored the country, and mm-hmm. then another pack horse. And I can tell you a story about one of my first rides here when someone gave me some horses, I went out to get them mm-hmm. about a, a couple hundred kilometers from here and ran into a storm and had to find my way into a gear. What's a gear? A gear is a yurt. Oh, Really? Uh, yurt is a Russian word. The, a gear is the Mongolian word for uh, uh-huh. for yurt. That's and uh, although all nomad, so I was uh, I had to make my way back with three horses, and uh, the fellow who was supposed to meet me missed the rendezvous point, and a big storm came in early November, 
first big storm and I'm out on the step with not a tree or a hill and you know not, nothing in sight really for protection. Oh my. And then I made my way and I found a little settlement uh, and then, uh, I just called out in the dark. I was full of, you know, packed, my sitting in my saddle, packed in there with windblown snow and I knew very little Mongolian at the time. I was just calling out uh, hello and and then when they came out, I said, I need tea. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they got me off the horse. And I, I went inside and stayed with them for two days. Uh, and then one of the things that's uh, kind of uh, interesting and great about Mongolia is when you make friends here, especially with herders or people who have horses, uh, they will often gift you a horse just as a <laughs> gift. You know. And so we, we acquired a uh, Oh, a number, uh, three or four horses as uh, gifts. They just gave them to us. And here's a here's a horse. We want you to have it as a gift. And I take that seriously. It's uh, some people can maybe take it as a, a, a symbolic gesture and say thanks very much for the horse. But uh, you know, you, uh, you take care of it. Right. <laughs> but I I uh, took it seriously. And when you have a horse, uh, as any horse people know, you have to take care of them. They need to be fed, uh, they need to be cared for, um, right. medical checks. And, and then we uh, started acquiring more horses that would be good for tourism, that could accommodate uh, all kinds of riders, all levels of riders, looking for horses that were uh, calm, but uh, were really good movers, you know, could move well, trot, would do whatever you wanted to do on them. If you're a beginner, uh, you know, a sort of a, a novice rider, you can get on these horses that we have and and uh, do well, you can keep up with everyone. Uh, if you're an expert rider, you can get on the same horse and make them do whatever you want, just because they're a good horse. I just want to tell a little story about our horses. Mongolian horses are, uh, they're very smart, and it's because of the way they grow up in a herd. They're very relaxed, it's their natural environment, they're with their friends or their family. So we don't see uh, nervous disorders, we don't see very many unhealthy horses at all. Mm-hmm. And they grow up learning how to uh, move around the environment, move through mountains, move across rivers on their own. Uh, we never have problems crossing rivers with horses. They just jump in and cross even before we do, the pack mm-hmm. horses. And we, we just see it uh, daily, I mean, how, how smart they are and how they move around the terrain, how they think and look and, and decide how to move and interact with each other. On one occasion, some years ago, we were moving uh, through the, the Henty Mountains, and the rivers were pretty high. Uh, we had a lot of rain, and uh, so the, the crossings, we were always careful when we're crossing rivers. Mm-hmm. This one particular crossing, it was a little bit of a rapid downstream, and we have uh, this one horse I might have mentioned before called, uh, we call him Big Dirty Face. Uh, he's the coffee drinker and uh, the, <laughs> cookie, the cookie monster who will sneak up and and uh, grab uh, some cookies off the the, the table when we're not watching <laughs> he went across first or a couple of other horses went across some riders went across and he went across and i was watching i was behind uh, one of our other pack horses a horse we called blue roan and uh, he the pack the blue, the blue roan kind of stumbled a little bit and went down and uh, i was afraid he was going to roll in this fast moving water with mm-hmm. the rapid down below he got his feet underneath him, but by the time he did that, he was standing in the middle of the rapids, sort of, up on a, a little a little area that was kind of a little bar under the water, but uh, still kind of in the, in the white water. Right. 
and Big Dirty Face was on the other side of the the river, and he was watching the Blue Roan, who he's close to. And he could see the Blue Roan was a bit startled and just standing there, not knowing what to do. He just, uh, you know, uh, didn't know how to get out of the situation. So Big Dirty Face goes back and walks down the river, uh, crosses uh, across the river up to up to the Blue Roan, turns around, and then walks him out. And the Blue Roan follows him out. Wow. <laughs> and he did it all on his own. And I'm just saying to the people, are you seeing this? You know, are you, you know, are we really watching this? <laughs> this is the kind of things these horses can do. Uh, not all the time, of course, but right. uh, and not every horse would do that. But it's just uh, amazing some of the, th- the things you see them do that, that they actually think about things. They actually know what to do, and they go out and he guides his friend back out across the river and uh, oh. back up onto the, the that's, opposite bank. That's a special horse right there. He is. And he loves his coffee. <laughs> Big dirty face. Yeah. The Mongolians call their horses by uh, colors. They don't really name them. So uh, the blue roan would be called Hukboro. Uh, uh-huh. That means uh, that would be blue roan. That's his color. Big dirty face is called Hotenmar, uh, meaning uh, he has kind of a mottled, uh, different color browns on his face. So right. it kind of looks like he has a dirty face. And we have two of them. We have big dirty face and little dirty face. <laughs> so so we call him Tom, Tom Holtemer, which is, means big dirty face in English. And have some of them been with you quite some time? Yeah. Uh, my personal horse I've had for the past 16 years. Um, but we try to keep our horses as long as possible. And uh, so we know them well. They know each other well. They're, they know the hierarchy of the horse of the herd they know where they fit in and uh, in fact the the boss of the whole herd is one of our pack horses we don't really drag our pack horses behind us we we pack them and they just follow us we just let them go really they just come with us mm-hmm. and sometimes they will go to go ahead they know the drill we're back in the mountains they know where we're going they know where the campsite is uh, wow. they don't get too far we don't let them get ahead of us we make sure they're always around us but uh they just move along with us and that's how something like big dirty face he was he wasn't being led anywhere he wasn't wasn't even on a line he no we we uh put their line up uh underneath the pack rope if we need to grab it we can always ride up to them and grab it and pull it out quickly mm-hmm. but they're the great horses and we choose them for the the types of trips we do we make sure they're they're uh, well adjusted uh, they're well adjusted in the herd and uh they're good for uh, the uh, type of uh, rider that we put on them. Do you train the, the horses yourself? We get them when they're uh, probably, I look for horses that are around six or seven. Okay. And then they're, they're, they're well, uh, well broken in. But we do train them. We do get them used to all the equipment that we use, the kinds of uh, saddles we use for uh, the trips that we run. Mm-hmm. The pack horses, uh, getting them used to the different uh, pack saddles and the pack equipment that we use. And then we integrate them into the herd because uh, here, you know, horses are, uh, they pretty much run wild or run free. It's a a country that's virtually unfenced. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many of the uh, herders that have uh, horsemen that have uh, herds of horses of 10, 15, 100, 200 animal horses, they just let them run. How do they, how do they know who's, or who's whose? Well, they, they all know 
do they brand yeah. them or do they just they do brand them okay and uh, they, they can register their brands with the local district well, when you're a herder you know, i mean you get to know your horses as individuals All right. uh, you know as a and uh, you know we've got 26 horses now that we use for our trips. Uh, we know them all, all of them as individuals. Each one of them is a, a real character. And Mongolia is kind of the heart of, uh, or the one of the birthplaces of horsemanship. And are you familiar with the horsemanship styles of the Mongolians? Yes. You know we see it all around us every day. And we, uh, when I'm not out with the horses, we we have a, a herder family who take care of the horses and watch them uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know. And they ride with the Mongolian saddles and the Mongolian style of riding. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have help on our trips. We hire uh, two young horsemen who are working with us. They're in their mid-20s. They, these guys grew up as uh, herders here. They know how to ride in the Mongolian style using their equipment and making the bridles and the way they, they make them out of rawhide. Mm-hmm. But they, they've also now learned how to pack horses in the style that we, we ask them to for uh, the, the tri- type of trips we do. And uh, they also don't mind getting in a Western saddle because it's it's uh, pretty comfortable. Tell us a, a little bit about the uh, the trips that you that you offer. What's the average length or do you have different length trips? We do. We have uh, one that we call uh, it's a goes through the, the Gorky Terrell's National Park, which is north of Ulmatar, about an hour and a half. Ulmatar is the capital city. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, still a pretty wild place. And that's, But it's a cultural landscape, meaning that uh, as a national park here in Mongolia, people can still live in it in a traditional way, in their, their gears or their yurts. Mm-hmm. That's that uh, kind of linen-covered, yeah, the the round uh, round uh, tent sort of thing with right. a, uh, a wooden frame all around the walls and then the ceiling, uh, and then covered with felt, oh. uh, several layers of felt. So we travel through that, and that's a that's a, 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 a ten days in the country and eight days of horse riding. But then we go further afield in the the uh, Henty Mountains, and the Henty Mountains are a, a really wild place. It's a, a real wilderness and it's quite big and it runs from uh, outside the capital city for several hundred kilometers right up to the border of uh, russia so you're right on the on the russian border and and uh, it's it's highlands uh you're crossing over mountains you're crossing rivers all the time on both these trips we go into that country for uh, a 14 day trip a couple of different trips 12 and 14 days where we can get in much further back into the, the country into the wilderness area that's full of lakes uh, you're getting into taiga forest uh, areas but still wide open valleys uh, and huge panoramas uh, scenic vistas and are there any there there any native populations back there keith those places are wild so once you get out of the gorky trails national park uh, out of the sort of cultural landscape which is uh, used for herding in the summertime or, or wintertime, and then the summertime they leave and, and go out to the steppe. Then you get back into the higher mountains, into the, the Henty Mountains, and that's uh, not good for uh, grazing, so that people don't live in that area. Okay. And they, they, traditionally they haven't. Um, the other interesting aspect of it is that there are old ruins up in these areas in the middle of nowhere, way out in the middle of nowhere. 
that were old monasteries started three, four hundred years ago. Oh man! And and then they were uh, because of the different uh, factions that uh, roamed the countryside at that time, or in Mongolia at that time. They were, you know, their enemies came and raided them and raised the monasteries to the ground, or something like that. So you're you're riding along and you're camping for days at a time. And suddenly you come into this amazing uh, monastery. That, uh, you know, the ruins of a monastery in the right. middle of a forest. Wow. I was perusing your uh, website before the interview, and one tour that caught my mind was, or caught my eye, was the Wilderness Conservation Adventure. Tell me a little bit about that. That sounded like a lot of fun. It is. It's one of our favorite trips that we do. We were starting to see uh, some more uh, impact into this one area of the Henty where uh, some horse traps were going and horse horse trips. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, so we decided that uh, people were leaving rubbish behind, things like that. But your your trips are all low impact, is that right? That's right. We try to keep our uh, group sizes to only six riders. Wow. Uh, and then there's a, there's a three or four or five of us uh, that run the the trips that go on them uh, and do all the work. So the, the group sizes are pretty small. We do that for low impact and just to keep the experience uh, more intimate you know, and friendly and so we can pay attention to, to our guests. It's uh, very personal service there. It is, yeah. So I'm sorry, I interrupted you about the uh, the conservation adventure. Uh, so because, because of the impact we were seeing uh, take place in uh, some of these areas, we decided that uh, it's such a beautiful area, we weren't going to not go there. We wanted to just started cleaning it up ourselves, taking it on as our own initiative to clean up rubbish and pack it out. After one of those trips, I approached the uh, national park system, the, the park director, and told us, told him what we were doing, and that I was thinking of developing a trip called the Wilderness Conservation Adventure, where we would invite guests to come in, and uh, we'd do this great horse ride for 10 or 12 days, but uh, in the middle of it, we would spend uh, two days around this really beautiful remote lake that is seeing some impact and just help do some uh, visitor management, some cleanup. And uh, we were going to put in, uh, you know, wilderness toilets so there's, uh, you know, to improve hygiene, uh, clean up the, uh, any rubbish that was left behind. And, uh, and he really liked the idea, and he said he would uh, support us in that and that he would uh, send uh, a couple of rangers with us or – what we would do is rendezvous and meet with a couple of rangers. They'd be coming from a different angle. Uh-huh. And we would meet them, and then we would uh, discuss the work and for a couple of days and just do some light conservation work. It's nothing, nothing too much. In fact, our, you know, most of the rangers and our horsemen do a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it improves visitor management, and people get to spend uh, a nice uh, couple of days around this beautiful lake with nice beaches, and they can get to swim and take hikes. And then after a couple of days of this kind of thing, we we move off again and uh, continue on the horse trip. I saw a video of that lake. It's absolutely stunning. It's just... It is, yeah. It, the lake is called Haginhar Nur and, uh, in, in Mongolian. And in English, that translates to uh, the lake of black lichen. When you go out to these on these longer rides, well, all of them are several nights, do you stay in your yurts and who prepares the food and takes care of that, those things? These are all uh, 
uh, expedition style traveling. So we set up uh, quite a camp every night and we move basically every night. Mm-hmm. And each person will get a, uh, a sleeping tent of their own. If they're an individual, they get their own tent. If they're a couple, they can have a shared tent. Okay. Um, we set up a group tent where we can have meals and we can be inside if it's raining or something. So we can, we have a, the tents large enough to have 10 people sitting around. We've got tables and fold out stools we bring along with us. So it's pretty comfortable. And we have a cook tent as well where all the meals are prepared. During the uh, colder months, September and October, the, both these tents are heated. Even in the mornings and evenings, uh, people could get into the group tent. And we have a wood stove going. Mm-hmm. Food preparation is overseen by uh, my wife, Sabina. And uh, we have another camp assistant who travels with us, and they do all the food preparation. So, What type of food is served? She keeps it varied. She likes to say it's food that's locally sourced and internationally seasoned. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> A lot of those Mongolian forests, they're homes to kind of the original herbalists, too. There's a lot of medicinal herbs and cooking herbs and spices in that area. The uh, Hanhenti wilderness area, the, the, the Henti Mountains, is considered a biodiversity hotspot, meaning that there are, are a lot of uh, plants and animals mm-hmm. uh, in this particular area. So it's well known for its uh, dozens or if not hundreds of medicinal plants. One of, the, one of the reasons Mongolia is so good for livestock and for horses in particular, it has more than 2,000 grasses and herbs you know, in the various wow. places. So the horses that we have are connoisseurs of uh, grass and herbs. You can see that they're you know, eating, they know, they know what they're eating. They're eating a, a, a variety of uh, plants that gives them a number of vitamins and minerals and uh, all kinds of health benefits uh, that probably have things that help keep their gut clean and uh, that have antibacterial properties. Right. A couple of weeks on the grass here that's uh, so varied, you see these horses fatten up and become sleek very quickly. Uh, Animal species and plant species are very similar, uh, if not the same, that you find in in, in America. We, we've had ranchers come over here and ride with us from, the, from Wyoming and Montana. Uh, they'll come with a son or a daughter or something. And they'll be looking around at the grass because their ranchers are always looking at grass. Right. Yes. Thinking about. <laughs> and they're always saying, uh, this is just like at home. This is just, you know, they start naming the species off that they, that they uh, have in their own uh, pasture lands. That, that amazes me. I, I, it's funny you should say that because I was out with a rancher tour in his ranch and he was the same thing and he was i i said doll are, are you a botanist he go, oh no no just you go, you got to know this stuff though if you're going to have cows <laughs> that's right yeah. on the ex- adventure rides will you encounter wildlife we do uh, we can't always guarantee that uh, wildlife have their own agenda <laughs> But, you can't uh, schedule them to come on through. Okay, here, <laughs> wave the flag. <laughs> we try to. But we see uh, this is an area that is very similar in uh, flora and fauna to North America. Uh, so you see, uh, you know, Siberian pine, Siberian uh, larch, uh, which is like the Western larch. Mm-hmm. 
Siberian spruce. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, birch trees and uh, th these kind of uh, plants. And the grasses are very similar as well. And so is the, the, uh, the fauna. So we've got wolves, uh, gray wolves, uh, grizzly bear, black, you know, uh, brown bear, elk, uh, roe deer, which is very much like a, uh, a white-tailed deer, uh -huh. uh, wolverine. Uh, one thing that you don't see in North America like you do here is wild boar in the forests. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, uh, musk deer. It's a tiny deer. It's about the size of a, a large dog. And it has these uh, you know, teeth that protrude uh, down from its upper jaw. And they, uh, you know, they provide musk, and they're, they're hunted for their musk. But, yeah, we have a lot of flora and fauna. And uh, moose. Uh, we often uh, encounter moose as well. And because of the length of these trips, a person has to be in fairly decent shape to, for this type of adventure. Uh, they do. They don't have to be a superman or superwoman. Okay. They just have to be in reasonable condition. Is there much altitude gain? Not really. Once you fly into Ulaanbaatar, you're at about uh, 4,500, 5,000 feet okay. already. So we go up another few thousand feet, but slowly, you know, over a course of days. So people can acclimatize, but you're not getting very high like you would in, in, in much higher mountains. All right. These mountains go up to about eight to 9,000 feet. Oh, wow. But we're not going up to the top of the mountains. We're, you know, traveling through them. Mm -hmm. You also do a trek to the Gobi Desert. What's that like? Is that a, a barren desert with rock formations? What Can you describe that for us? Yeah, the Gobi Desert is, uh, like many deserts, has a uh, quite varied terrain and ecosystems all within the desert. Uh, it's got high mountains. It's got 4,000-meter peaks in the Gobi Desert. Oh, man. And at times, uh, if the, if the uh, moisture and the rain is right, the whole place turns uh, an amazing green with flowers coming up, oh. you know, just uh, in a few days, like many deserts do. So you've got uh, sand dunes like the Hungarinels, which is the famous singing sands of Mongolia. Uh, you've got uh, the high mountains. You've got, uh, you know, long open step or flat areas uh, you've got valleys that have uh, that are full of willow trees you know the the uh really? would be more like more like cottonwoods so it's it's a pretty amazing uh diversity throughout the whole gobi area and the, the the gobi people are pretty amazing as well they're they're very energetic and very friendly what we do and we've worked in the area for many many years uh, on different uh, park management projects and other resource projects. And that's how we got to know the area and know the people throughout the area. Uh, a lot of our guests coming for horse rides, since they're coming all the way around the world, they wanted to also see the Gobi, experience right. another uh, ecosystem. And, and Mongolia is famous for the Gobi Desert because of uh, Roy Chapman Andrews, the, mm -hmm. uh, the fellow who, whose expeditions discovered that dinosaurs laid eggs. So we designed a trip to uh, go down to the Gobi, and it would fit in between our horse trips that we run every year. We run eight horse trips. So we have uh, a six-day Gobi trip that people can do before a horse trip or after a horse trip. So they can see, do a horse trip up in this uh, wonderful uh, Henty Mountain area. Mm -hmm. And uh, after the trip, they can go to the Gobi. And that's a, that's a, a trip for our guests, but also for any non-riders. 
because we're not doing any horse riding. Right. You know, they can they can experience uh, getting on camels, you know, riding, doing a, a day ride on camels or something while they're down there. That sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, the one thing about the Gobi is just this amazing scenic vistas. They, they're endless, of this, uh, you know, desert scenery. And then on that trip, people stay in, uh, will stay with a family in gears or uh, guest houses or uh, other remote places because it's pretty, it's pretty remote. And we take people down there with uh, four wheel drives. So that's for that's for somebody who doesn't want to, uh, who's maybe not a horseback rider. Do you have any other options for people who want to experience the culture of Mongolia, but may not want to ride a ride a horse we are uh, running in the autumn uh hiking trips now for oh. people who don't want to ride but want to hike through this uh gorky Tarelis national park and see and it, it's yak cart supported meaning a yak to, uh, pull a cart along with all the camping gear and the, so people can have a light pack and just hike very good we designed a, a trip called train to gear because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who uh come through Mongolia on the Trans-Siberian Railway, coming from uh, Moscow or Berlin, coming all the way to Beijing, coming across Asia and experiencing uh, Asia that way. And they're allowed to get off at certain places. So they can get off in Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia for three or four days, or they can arrange how how long they want to be off. Mm -hmm. So people were coming through and they'd they'd show up and ask us if we could get them into the countryside so they could see what Mongolia was like. So I uh, designed this trip called Train to Gear. Uh, we pick them up at the train. We take them out to Yadaman Davasorn, the herder couple who works with us. Uh-huh. They have a couple of traditional gears, and they, the people get in there, and they're given traditional meals. Davasorn's a great countryside cook. She can cook meat-based meals, which is what most Mongolians eat, but she also has learned how to do vegetarian. So they get to... Uh, experience uh, what traditional herder life in contemporary Mongolia is like now, what people are actually living like now. They they sleep in the gur and can help with chores around the farm? if or mm-hmm. yeah. That's right. They sleep in a gear. They can help uh, with the herding. They can help with milking the cows, uh, pushing the horses around. Uh, there's great places to hike. You know, people coming from the train, they want to get off, stretch their legs a bit for a few days. So they spend two or three nights with uh, Yadama and Davasoring. They can get on horseback, and uh, Yadama will take them riding, you know, for a couple of hours here and there. Oh. A great place for riding, a chance to see wildlife. And then we take them into the city, and they, they get to see uh, – they stay in a city guest house, another family guest house we work with. And uh, our driver, who is a pretty good character, uh, takes them around the city and – uh, shows them some of the city sites, and then we drop them back off on the train, and off they go. So it's a short holiday on their Trans-Siberian Railway uh, travel, and then uh, they get to see uh, Mongolia. And many people have written back to us saying that that was the the uh, best part of their trip. Really, it sounds like you get to experience the life and culture of a of whole other people. You do. Uh, so we've got people from all over the world doing that particular trip. They're non-riders. Uh, they don't have the equipment to ride. They haven't spent much time. Uh, so they get out to see some of uh, countryside life, countryside food. They really interact with a, a countryside family. 
there's neighbors coming by all the time, so they see all kinds of things. That's neat. And then Yadam and are also learning a lot about uh, people. These are just simple herders. <laughs> yeah. They're sudden, suddenly hosting people from all over the world. That's right. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a, a fiddle player, very professional fiddle player from Ireland who played traditional fiddle, Irish fiddle, came by, he and his partner. Uh-huh. He gave a concert every night, you oh, know, just wow. an hour concert. The family was there watching it. Suddenly, the next day, neighbors found a reason to come over at that time <laughs> at night. And people from up the valley, suddenly, who we hadn't seen for weeks, suddenly came down. They heard about the music. And oh, wonderful. So, the, so this guy gave a you know an Irish concert every for three nights before he, he moved off. Do your horses um, use, like, traditional tack to the Mongolian saddles? Are those basically same as our, our saddles over here? Not really. Uh, they're much smaller and uh, they're uh, designed much differently. To ride a Mongolian saddle, you really have to grow up on it. <laughs> you know, uh, to take someone who is uh, used to a, an English or Western saddle and put them on a Mongolian saddle it would be a, a, a bit of a torture. They, people can do it, but it, it would be very uncomfortable. Do you have any problems getting comfortable saddles over there? No, we don't because uh, we make our own. Oh, you do? Sabina, she's always wanted to go to, uh, she's quite artistic herself anyhow. So she went to school in New Mexico some years ago and learned how to make saddles. So what we have done is we have taken the Western saddle and we've made a a very lightweight cut-down version of a Western saddle that we can easily adjust and easily maintain in the backcountry if we have to repair it. She uh, does a lot of design work on the saddle, so each one of them is a, a different uh, piece of artwork. Wow. They're lightweight. We can we keep them at about 22 pounds. We put safety stirrups on them uh, that, that look pretty nice on them. Uh-huh. Sabina cooks and, keep, and makes the saddles. She's, she's a versatile gal. I keep her around. Uh, yeah, we make her do everything. I don't do much. I just talk. I just talk to people. <laughs> Very awesome. Now, if people want to find out more about uh, your adventure rides in Mongolia, where should we send them? Uh, we can go to www.stonehorsemongolia.com. Stonehorse Mongolia is just one word. Okay. And we do have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. which is uh, Stone Horse Expeditions uh, on Facebook. We, we've got some social media sites, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter sites, things like that, that they can find on our, once they go to the uh, website, all of that, uh, you can find all these sites on our website. And you've got all the details about each individual trip and how much they cost and what people need to bring along with them, things like that. Right. We've got a, a section on the website called Expeditions, and they can click on that and see the different expeditions that we do and the, the dates that we, we uh, that each expedition is going out and the cost of each expedition. Yeah, It's easily found on the website. Uh, and uh, another thing, we, we I, I put together an ebook that people can download from the website. It's free. Oh, great. And uh, that's uh, called The Right Gear for uh, Expedition Horse Riding. And what I do is uh, list uh, and give an explanation of the different items of clothing and equipment that we recommend mm-hmm. to come on a trip. 
so and with websites and uh, links that they can actually see what this kind of looks like online. Most people have this if they horse ride or do some any kind of camping, they have this kind of these these uh, clothing items and equipment. And uh, there's a little uh, a little uh, talk or back and forth between me and a woman named Darty Newman. Oh yes, uh huh, Equa Trekking. She's been on the show. Mm-hmm. I uh, asked her a couple of questions: how she prepares for her international travel, how she packs, because uh-huh. she not only does horse riding, she uh, visits other aspects of the country, the cuisine. She does hikes and uh, does some other things. Mm-hmm. So I asked her, how do you pack for a, when you're going on a horse riding trip to Botswana or some other country? I mean, you you know, you, you're going to be doing other things. You're not want to, you don't want to take too many items with you. Right. So we talked about that. So there's an expert, you know, uh, in the in that you know a, a conversation between me and her on uh, how she packs for uh, t- travel with horse riding in mind, but also other um, activities, tours activities uh, as well. Well, it sounds like a great adventure. It's one of those once in a lifetime type of adventures that I'm sure. Just about anybody who loves a horse and who loves open country would just love to visit. It is. It's a. It is a. It's around the other side of the world, so we have to convince people to come here. It's easy to get here, actually, from the U.S. Uh, there are pretty, uh, pretty straight flights uh, directly here to, to Ulmbatar, where we pick people up. It's a once in a lifetime adventure that we do eight times a year. Wow. <laughs> You're a lucky man, Keith. You're lucky. <laughs> I am. I am. That'll do it for this show. Thanks to Keith Swenson for talking with me about his stone horse expeditions. We had a couple of very long conversations over Skype, and I got sidetracked several times talking about Mongolian history and Genghis Khan. Keith is wonderful to talk to, and I imagine his rides are not only entertaining, but instructional too. When you have a moment, click on Stone Horse Expedition's website and see what a truly beautiful country it is. And wouldn't it be cool to tell your friends a story about the time you rode a Mongolian horse through the Gobi Desert or the Konhenti Mountains? I'll have all the links in our show notes at wopodcast.com where you can find even more episodes about horses, travel, and adventure. You'll also find a link to our humble little YouTube channel that chronicles our life with horses, dogs, cats, cows, and travel. Some are helpful, some will just waste your time. But hey, I hope they all bring a smile. If you have a comment or suggestion, email me at john at wopodcast.com. You can subscribe to the Woe Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You'll never miss an episode. Take us along with you when you ride or do chores. Woe Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, we're everywhere. Turn over a rock and you'll likely find the Woe Podcast. You know the best part? They're all free. Need more? You can join our mailing list at woepodcast.com. Every Friday, I'll send you a quick tip something you can do to build a better relationship with your horse with just a few minutes practice. And good news, Renee has retired from her grown-up job and now we hope to enjoy our horses even more together and maybe I can get her back to a regular hosting spot. Thanks again for listening to the show and sharing this podcast. We've really grown in the last two months and we know it's all because of you. So until next time, 
For Renee, this is John Harris saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.